Guys, it's good to be with you, and those of you I know, thanks for sticking around when you saw that it was me that was sharing, so that's, that's pretty good, right? Uh, so this is our fam, uh, and I love it. When Wes asked me to speak, I said, what am I speaking on? He said, trust. I said, great. You know, the irony of the pastor who struggles with worry and fear and anxiety to get up there in front of you guys and go, hey, let's talk about trust, right? Uh, but it's an area that, that, that wrecks me at times. And each of these kids, I can go back to that photo, I mean, they, they kind of have their own place in that for me. Uh, Griffin, my little eight-year-old, last night, he, he's sitting on the couch and he's combing his hair over to the side and he's, he's constantly putting this gel in. He's like, Dad, can you get that, this knot out? And so I'm combing his hair over and I comb it to this side and I realize he has cut his bangs just right here. And I was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, this, you're, this is crazy. And I was like, you used to do this when you were four. He's like, now you're eight, and you're still cutting your own hair. Like, what's going on? And, and so it's decision-making like that that I go, man, Lance, you are not, you've not yet arrived in the realm of, of parenting and dadhood as of yet. And so I became a dad in the fall of, of 2005. And so Sweet Allie came into the world, really had a pretty uneventful pregnancy in a sense that everything went smooth. I think for us, there was this sense of entitlement as parents that, hey, we'd, we deserve this you know, healthy kid and healthy pregnancy. And so we didn't really think much about it. Four months after she was born, uh, we were a little overwhelmed by the fact that we were pregnant yet again. And, uh, you know, we received all the jokes. It was, oh, Irish twins. And I had to Google what that even was. And so I was like, oh, I get it, Irish twins. You got the people looking at you and saying, you know what causes this, right? And, of course, I just always would try to make it as awkward as I could. I was like, yeah, and we enjoy it. Lots, you know, get in their face a little bit on it. Uh, but our son Caleb, who's number two up there, he graced our presence uh, two weeks early, which was actually ten days before Christmas. So for the planter, for the planner and the structured guy like me, that that caught us a little off guard. And yet at the same time, there was this excitement that he was going to be joining our family for the holidays. Um, you fast forward to our time in the hospital. We ended up staying two nights. On that second night, I went home to kind of hang with uh, our little girl and I was going to come up and pick up Mandy and Caleb that next morning. And in the middle of the night, I received the phone call that no parent ever wants to receive. It's my wife, and she just said, hey, Dr. Barrett has something for you. He needs to tell you. And, um, and she, like, I could tell there was something not right. Um, and throw, so Dr. Barrett gets on the phone. He lets me know, hey, your son has a bad heart. And I'm sitting there going, no, no, no. Like, I just, I was just with him. Like, he's good. Like, we, we were... It was snuggle time, dad. And he's like, no, no, there's, there's something wrong with his heart, and we're going to have to kind of send him over to Dallas. And, uh, and so that proceeded to be the most crazy drive from our house to the hospital. Um, I, I remember wanting to sing but not really being able to. I write to, like, praise the Lord and go, okay, Lord, I know you're good, but this is hard. This is difficult. I get up there, and my wife, who's just delivered a child, is kind of in this state of shock. Um, we quickly kind of packed up and took off for Dallas. They couldn't fly him out, so they had to take him in an, amb an ambulance. Um, and so literally the whole drive, we're, we're just thumbing through Scripture, like trying to find truth to cling to in this moment. We get here, uh, they end up diagnosing him with TAPVR, um, which is total anomalous pulmonary venous return. And his was to the coronary sinus. So you medical folks, you can tell me if I said that wrong. But, but basically, he wasn't getting oxygenated blood to the, right si or to the left side of his heart. It basically was just feeding right back into the right side. And we found out that next morning, hey, he's going to need open heart surgery. And, uh, and part of that is, you know, setting him up and, and uh, you know, really stopping his heart. 
and, uh, and letting, letting them to get in there and to fix and to repair the things that needed repaired. And uh, I remember going through those weeks with just lots of unknowns. And yet throughout that entire time, it's like God was just constantly smiling down, like showing us, hey, I'm here, hey, I'm with you, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you, not going to forsake you, I'm with you. And, uh, and as we watched that happen and unfold and the trust begin to build for us, um, it was amazing uh, to walk into that surgery at, at this weird place of fear, but also this deep trust that, hey, he's got this. And so we got to spend that morning with Caleb before we sent him off to surgery, just praying over him, holding him, um, really just petitioning the Lord, Father, we'd love more days. We'd love more days with this kid. And um, that picture of pushing that hospital bed back to the OR and releasing it is an image that is still like so deeply ingrained in my mind because it's an image I think we all need when it comes to parenting, right? That, that release, that letting go. And yet for whatever reason, God allowed me to do that physically, which allowed me to see, whoa, now like this is what parenting is every day. So we, we pushed him back and, and I just remember saying, he's yours, not mine. He's yours, not mine. And I trust that you love him more than I do. That you love him more than I do. And, um, you know, selfishly, more time with him. Selfishly, our prayers definitely focused on, hey, Lord, heal him. And yet he brings peace even when we don't know how he's going to work that out. We knew through that time we could trust his timing. We could trust his goodness. We could trust his promises. And God, in his kindness, as you see from the picture above, there's not this like, oh, where's the kid? He's missing, and now he's here. No, like he, he gave us more days with Caleb. And, and yet as I share this, I know for many of you, you faithfully walked this road, and God answered your prayer for healing in a very different way. And your loss is heavy, and I'm encouraged by you in the way that you take heart because you know that your child is eternal. And that stirs my affections for Jesus. In a huge way, it does. Um, and I think for those of us who have watched and stood by, the question always comes up, like, how are you able to do this? How are parents able to trust in the midst of difficult circumstances like that? And here's why I believe that happens. Parents who do this realize that our kids, when it comes to our kids and when it comes to parents, when it comes to parenting, we're stewards, not owners. We're stewards, not owners. And when it comes to what the difference is in those two things, the, the, the thing that came to my mind is that an owner clenches his fists and screams, mine, mine. I have ownership over this. I have the right over this. I'm entitled to this. Whereas a steward opens his hands and cries, yours, yours. Like they're yours. These kids we're raising are his. And, uh, and so if you've been tracking over the past few months, Wes kind of recapped all of this. But biblical fatherhood requires that we model our faith, that we train in truth, and that we pray in faith. And today we get to talk about trusting the Lord, about trusting the Lord. In Psalm 127, there's an incredible reminder that the psalmist sends our way. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit 
of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You see, when we attempt to be owners rather than stewards, we labor in vain. We, and we begin to kind of assume a burden that we are never intended to bear as parents, which leads to anxiety, which leads to restlessness. And, uh, and so what I, I want to be clear with when it comes to trust is it isn't passive, right? It's not that, hey, Jesus, take the wheel. We'll just <laughs> see. We'll see what happens, right? It's not passive. It's active. One of the greatest ways you can model your faith for your kids. And so what I'm going to talk about today is just three ways that choosing to be a steward um, helps us in our parenting. Okay? Three ways that choosing to be a steward helps us in our parenting. And so the first is this. Choosing to be a steward helps us trust in God rather than ourselves. Helps us trust in God rather than ourselves. In Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8, uh, we, we read this from Jeremiah. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabitable salt land. Okay, so that's what we see. Cursed is the man who trusts in his own strength. It says, but verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and doesn't fear when heat comes or its leaves remain green. It's anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see, when we make flesh our strength, it leads to pride and control rather than humility and dependence as God intended for us as men. You see, the man who trusts in the Lord does not fear. He's not anxious. He does not cease to bear fruit. And so my question for you, and the question as you wrestle with this idea of trust, is when it comes to parenting, where would you say you've placed your trust? Where would you say you've placed your trust? Is it in yourself, or is it in the Lord? And then how do you know? How do you know? How would you lay that out for others? So choosing to be a steward helps us trust in God rather than ourselves. Choosing to be a steward also brings peace rather than anxiety and fear. It brings peace rather than anxiety and fear. And so I mentioned as we traveled to Dallas, knowing that something was not right for our child, we, we just dug into his word. And we thumbed through scripture and eventually came to the passage in Isaiah 26.3, which says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. And what I want you to is there's not a day goes by that I don't remind myself of that truth. That God doesn't bring that truth to mind, not just for me, but for others. That I get to walk alongside as they're walking similar roads. You see, choosing to be a steward and not an owner is not a one-time decision. Right? That, that pushing that bed back of my son and letting him go to the ER and saying, hey, he's yours, not mine. That is a daily submitting to the Lord. You don't just make that decision early on. Hey, we know we've got a kid coming. He's God's. You got it, right? Like that's a daily laying it down, trusting the Lord that he's got it. Um, you see, for me, each pregnancy after Caleb's, we had two of them. Um, it brought its own share of anxiety and fear. 
Would our other kids have to walk the same road? Um, there were times I questioned myself, man, are we being careless and even getting pregnant again? And um, God and his word and his people reminded me of truth. And they reminded me, hey, you can trust him that he's good. You can trust his promises. And we did. You see, trust isn't just about the physical health of your kids. I know I lead there with, with, with our story, something we've walked through with our kids. But, but trust uh, is in the doubt that we have in the daily decisions we make as parents. Right? Man, public school, private school, homeschool, co-op. Like, what, what are we going to do? Like, there are daily decisions that can induce fear and worry and anxiety. It's fear we feel over the friends our kids will choose, the setbacks they'll face, the sports teams they'll get cut from. Okay? We've got to trust. This year, my son Caleb uh, tried out for the football team, first time to ever play tackle football. And, and he's kind of more the quiet type. He's a little more reserved. Most of our other kids will let you know when there's an issue with you, and they'll tell you right away. Caleb just kind of hangs back. Uh, he ended up getting mono, okay, a week into school. Crushed him. You know, the doctor diagnosed it, said, hey, well, you actually have mono. He was like, okay. <laughs> he had no idea what that meant. <laughs> Dad's over there going, oh, dear, <laughs> you know, this is not good. Uh, but man, the kid battled. He ended up making the A-team, but yet he was so far down the depth chart that he was hardly playing. And I just told him, I said, hey, buddy, what do you want? And, uh, and he was like, man, I think I'd like to move down to B-team and play. And, uh, and I just said, then go ask. And, and, and as a dad, it's like, dude, easy for me to just send that email off. Hey, coach, thanks. This is great. Here's, here's what, we'd, what he'd like to do. Can you help us out? But I just sat back and I let him Hey, you take it. Go do it. He didn't. <laughs> Not at any point in time, but as a dad, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, like, here's your chance. We'll go take it. And in that moment, I realized, no, no, I want that more than he does. Right? And we can't parent in that way. Gosh, um, man, we see trust in the sins our kids struggle with, the they'll pursue, the people, even the spouse that they'll marry. You see, each stage of life, and I know you. In various stages, kids are on the way. Some of you kids are still little, and you're going, man, I, I don't know. Seems like she's doing way more than I am right now, you know? And then some of you are seeing your kids step into elementary school for the first time. Some, it's the challenges of middle school and new friend groups. Others, it's high school and beyond. But every stage of life, parents choose either to be overbearing and unbelieving or to be grace-based, faith-filled in our parenting. You see, we're currently walking through just a dark valley when it comes to mental health struggles with one of our kids. And man, there isn't a day that I don't wake up and go, man, Lord, let me take it from him. And what I've realized is God's not asking me to take it from him. He's asking me to submit it to God, to give it to him. I can't use yours. And to help my son do likewise. And I have to remind myself every day what? Isaiah 26.3. You give him a perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. Philippians 4, right? Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, right? And, and I have a struggle there because I see do not be anxious for anything. I see do not be anxious in some things, right? But his word says do not be anxious in anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, it says present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Proverbs 12, 25 tells me an anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. And I just, man, on repeat over and over again, he's got this. He's yours. She's yours. You love him more than I do. And um, it's a challenge, right, to remind myself daily, I'm a steward, not an owner. I'm a steward, not an owner. And I got to point him to him. And so my question is just, how are you doing at leveraging the difficulties of parenting for your own personal growth and for God's glory? And then what scripture do you need to daily set before you to remind yourself you're a steward, not an owner? Trust him. Okay, you can trust him. Last, choosing to be a steward reminds us to focus on the eternal rather than transient. You see, owners seek to make a name for themselves in parenting. Owners seek the applause of man. And it's this exhausting, constant striving for what? An attaboy from some people that you hardly know? A trophy for your kid? I coach, get the pleasure of coaching my kids' sports teams, and we've had some pretty cool championship runs. And, and I remember sitting there with these kids, and they've got trophies bigger than them. And they're like, yes! And they just think it's the most incredible thing that they have. And I look at them, and I just said, hey, bud. I said, man, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You worked hard for that. And I asked him, I just said, hey, you know where my trophies are? You know where I keep them? And they're all like, they're trying to think, like, but it's on your wall. Your wife lets you keep it in the house. And, you know, they're like throwing out all these different ideas. I said, no, it's in a trash heap somewhere. I don't even know. I don't even know where it is. And I'm, if I'm honest with you, that's going to be the same fate of these. But you know what you get to keep? The relationships you built. The reminders that, God, we worked hard for that. Okay, and uh, we got to be reminding our kids of that. I think we're living for the wrong trophy. Okay, remind us we got to focus on the eternal, not the transient. Owners put their hope and their identity in their kids, and it puts an undue pressure on your kids to perform or to be what they think is going to make you proud. God is saying, man, trust me. Trust me in this. You see, owners constantly trying to get their kids to buy into their dreams, what they hope for, what they wish for. There's actually a whole documentary called Trophy Kids. Check it out. It, it's, uh, it'll make you rethink your motivation and why you're doing what you're doing. You see, owners seek for first the world, while stewards seek first the kingdom. Colossians 3.2 reminds us, man, we are to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us, man, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You see, stewards remember their primary role as disciple maker and their goal is faithfulness. I was reminded this week as we talked through this with Wes, it's just how your kids turn out is not a good barometer for success in parenting. We, uh, we host an expecting parent class. Many of you guys have walked through that. And I remember the first time I sat in that, I heard Kyle Kegler say, hey, you're not guaranteed 
your kids will turn out good or godly. And that wrecked me. <laughs> so I wanted to guarantee it. I wanted to control it. I wanted to modify them to a point of like, behave, obey, submit, follow him, trust him. And we don't have that guarantee. Our only hope is to trust in the God who transforms the heart rather than to trust our strength to modify their behavior. And so my question on this one for you is this, what would you say is the goal of your parenting? Are you devoting more time to the eternal or the transient? And I, I share that with you because I go, man, guilty. Absolutely guilty. And I need reminders. And I need others to go, hey, we're living for something more. We're living for something more. Not only what would you say about your goal, but what would your kids say is your goal? What would your parent, oh, what would your wife say is your goal when it comes to parenting? And as I close, man, I want you to consider this, that God actually gives us the struggles of parenting as an opportunity to model trust for our kids. He uses these struggles, the pain, the heartache, the difficulties, the celebrations to make us more like Jesus and to give us a chance to point others to the truth of the gospel. Um, Dr. Constable, who's a professor down at DTS and a pastor, he says, he says it this way as he kind of summarizes Romans 11 in his own words. He says, God is the source from which all things come, the means by which all things happen, and the goal toward which all things are moving. He is likewise the originator, sustainer, and finisher of everything, ultimately. In view of all these attributes, roles, and in redemptive works, he deserves all glory forever. And you can trust him. Okay? The originator, the sustainer, the finisher of everything is in your corner as a dad. That should bring peace. That should bring comfort. That should bring hope. That should bring joy to us all that he's there. And we have a choice to make, right? We can clench our hands and say, mine, or we can open them wide and cry yours. And that choice is yours. That choice is mine every single day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, that it's true. I thank you that you're a God that can be trusted in all things. Father, pray for these men, Lord, as I have no idea the level at which they struggle with that. For some, it's control and pride. For others, it's doubt and defeat and worry. Father, I pray that you meet them where they're at today. I pray that you'd help them to see, Lord, we can trust you. For from you, through you, and to you are all things. And to your name be the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Lance, thank you, bro. That was so good. Um, you want you to take these two. Let's get situated here for a second. Here, will you slide over there, Jim? I wanted to put you right next to Justin. Justin asked me to do that. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, man, I am, uh, Lance, that was great. Thank you uh, for sharing that and just sharing out of your vulnerability. And uh, clearly this is something the Lord is uh, at work in your heart in. And it blesses me. So uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, for you to get to hear from these other guys too. And so the reality of 
this topic is that all of us have circumstances in which we get to trust the Lord with, uh, and uh, and not uh, again as I prayed for you guys a little bit earlier. Not one of us has a set of circumstances that is identical to the other. And, and so as you get to hear from these guys and some of the unique circumstances that they have found themselves in, uh, I want you to just be thinking, okay, so what are the principles then that apply to me and where I am? Not all of us will have to wheel our, you know, a uh, few week old back uh, in an ER for open heart surgery. That, that's a pretty rare and uh, small percentage of us. And yet the principle that Lance has set before us is one that uh, all of us have to do uh, in a lot of different ways. And so as you hear from these guys, as we have this conversation, just be thinking along those lines. So uh, Jim Word, here sitting next to me, is a good friend, uh, has been for a long time, and serves on our staff and our community team. Uh, Jim uh, has a, a pretty, <laughs> there you go, uh, has uh, an amazing story of just God's grace. And, and I've gotten to walk alongside Jim through some of the darkest times uh, in his life. So he was married for 33 years and then uh, went through a divorce uh, about 11 years ago and, and uh, uh, has played the role of a single dad uh, in that these are his four kiddos who are all grown and uh, gone and uh, out of the house. And so I wanted uh, Jim to get to share with you some of what the Lord has taught him uh, in this. And then my buddy Justin Smith uh, is one of our table leaders here at Dad U. I told him when he sent me this picture, I was like, bro, that is cuteness overload. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do with ourselves. Uh, but Justin and Michelle have been married uh, for 10 years, and they've got four kiddos, Sophia, Luca, Roman, and Mila. Uh, and, uh, and so Justin uh, has served here in a variety of ways in our children's ministry, as well as uh, in marriage ministry, leading foundation group, and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear from them. So Jim and Justin, Lance has shared with us some of what his situation has looked like and the, the opportunities that he's had to trust the Lord. Uh, will you guys just kind of share with these guys, hey, what does that, um, that, that circumstance, that battleground look like for you guys uh, here? So Jim, I'll let you start. Yeah, so, you know, when you're as old as I am and you have adult children, there's probably a multitude of stories to draw from, but I'll draw from one. I will never forget when I got the phone call from my, one of my daughters that said, hey, Dad, I'm in, I'm in jail. Um, can, you, can you come get me out? And uh, I remember my thought, I'm like, wow, um, there, was a, there was a pause there, and I told her, I said, I don't know that that's the best thing for you. And I, I said that in faith, not in wisdom. Uh, and uh, it began a long journey of walking with her through incarceration, uh, trusting God with her through that. And uh, I would say it ended with multiple conversations on this side of it saying, hey, Dad, uh, my time in federal prison was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And so when you talk about trusting and it affects your prayers, it affects your worldview, it affects, you know, that Tozer quote says, man, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Uh, it's so true in these kinds of things. Yeah. Justin, share with them about your <clears throat> Yeah, so um, my youngest, Mila, she's three years old actually last week, but um, about a year and a half ago, she, we started noticing some developmental delays and some, some problems with um, her speech, and eventually it led down the road of uh, meeting with the geneticist, and we found out through a lab test that my daughter has an extremely rare disease. Um, 200 cases in the world rare. So it's, uh, you know, it was kind of from that moment on that my wife and I just, you know, we kind of relied on our faith and, 
you know, it, it's easy to say, you know, you're going to trust in the Lord, and when it happens, you're like, yeah, I, I have faith, and my faith sustains me. But, you know, walking through that and then living in the reality of a, the fact that your daughter may die before you um, is, a, is a tough reality. So our faith has waned. Our trust has been a problem. Um, but, you know, I, I think where we, <clears throat> where we are, and we'll, we'll get more into that, but... Um, it's the greatest gift that we don't deserve is of having my daughter. So whether it's one day or a hundred, it is a gift. And just hearing what Lance has to say about, about the situation of it being daily, we have to remind ourselves of that truth and trust that what the Lord says about, <clears throat> you know, us being parents of our daughter and that being our main role in this world, that's, um, that's just important for us to rely on each day. So, um, we live in this world of this rare disease, and you know we know that we have a responsibility with that. And um, I'll just say that the circumstances are good today. My daughter's healthy, but um, the situation may be bleak. And the hope is that um, the one verse that gave us comfort was John 9. You know, right when we found out about this, you know, it's essentially, um, you know, there, there's a blind man, and they said, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but they were like, you know, who sinned, this man or, or his parents, that, that he was born blind? And the answer was no one. It was so that the will of God be done, and um, that's what we, we try to rest on. This is for God's will through my daughter. That's awesome. Uh, so, Jim, talk to us. You and I, when we visited about this, um, and, and so Jim serves and has served uh, in uh, leadership in our prodigal ministry, and so if you guys aren't familiar with that ministry, a lot of what Jim will share is a lot of the principles that I know he's worked through there and led others through. But, um, you know, I, I do think there's kind of these, these two different um, uh, broad categories of the environments that we find ourselves in. Uh, there's the uh, the unexpected health things and, and just life circumstances and what may come our way. And then there's kind of the behavior side of, okay, and I'm watching my kids behave in this way and I'm wrestling with what's my role in that, who sinned, you know, in the midst of that uh, too. And so uh, I know in Prodigal, you guys talk about the idea of codependency uh, and codependency and parenting. Can you unpack what does that really look like? What are some of the, the warning signs that you would say, hey, as you look back on um, you know, ways that maybe that played out for you guys as you watched your kids walk through these difficult circumstances or even just the temptations you had yeah. towards that. So a very simplistic definition of codependency as we look at it in the prodigal ministry is that we, we think that uh, we become codependent when we find our value, worth, esteem, and significance from someone else. From, for example, if my child is doing really good and getting trophies, I'm doing really good. If my child is struggling at school with a bully or with academics, then I'm not doing very good. And so it's that sense of I'm drawing my significance from someone else. And so, you know, when you have a child that's going through some really tough times, behaviorally, which is kind of my experience, uh, it, it really stretches your faith in trusting how God works. A couple of passages that really drive us in the prodigal ministry is, uh, one of them is Proverbs 27, 22. It says, though you pound a fool, and I apologize for calling your children a fool, but the Bible does. <laughs> though you pound a fool in a mortar and pestle along with fine grain, yet foolishness will not depart from them. So your children may be young, and you uh, look at your arsenal of leverage that you have as a parent. I'm going to take away your... Uh, computer game. I'm going to take away your, your dessert. You're going to go to your room and have time out. Or when they get older, I'm going to take away your, 
car, your driver's license, well, not your driver's license, but I'm going to take away, and we have a lot of leverage at that point, but at some point in time, all your leverage is gone, <laughs> and, uh, and your kids stop listening, and so it's, it, there was a sense of truly resting in the fact that, you know, God has a plan for my child. God has a plan for me, and truly, my role in my child's life could be more about me than it is about my child. Your journey as a parent could be more about what God wants to do in your heart and your life, drawing you closer to him than you trying to fix, rescue, save your child from having hard times or experiencing the consequences of bad choices that they make. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is to rescue your child from bad choices. They need to reap what they sow. That sounds biblical. Galatians 6, they need to reap what they sow. And one of the hardest things we had to do is I'm sitting in a federal courtroom down in Del Rio, Texas, and listening to a judge tell my daughter, well, it looks like, it looks like you've gotten away with some things for a long time, but not this time. You're going to spend some time in federal prison. And I couldn't, I couldn't hear my daughter, but I could, hear, I could see her shoulders heaving as she wept. But we had to let go. We could have lawyered up. We could have hired some really good lawyers and gotten her off. I know we could have. But uh, when the scripture says an angry man must pay the penalty, because uh, if you rescue them, you're only going to have to do it again. So these biblical principles drove us to keep from being codependent, to find our worth and value in, in, in our kids succeeding all the time. So. That's good. Lance, could you maybe speak to that for you and Mandy as you uh, wrestle through that as a married couple and just how do you guys help each other to identify those tendencies and those temptations that, that maybe Jim's talking about of finding your identity and worth and how your kids are doing or not doing and, and all that? What, what are the, the things that you guys uh, just talk about regularly that help you in that? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to just time, like where are we spending our time? What are the things that are bringing worry, you know, and fear? And, and what are the things we're giving weight to in our family? And uh, Mandy's usually able to see that in me. So typically I'll run towards sports and coaching and yeah, we gotta, we gotta work on this and get out there. Yeah, you should work on these free throws. And like, when I think about the amount of time I spend trying to help my kids think through this plan for how they're gonna do well on a court, <laughs> as opposed to di diving into God's word and how they're growing in their own heart, like there's just times where I go, man, that is not aligned. Um, and so that, that plays out with, with our relationship, that plays out, plays out sometimes with her bringing that to me, with me bringing that to her. Hey babe, I, I think, I think you're, you're trying, it seems like you're trying to control there. You know, what, what's behind that? Help me understand. And, and so we just are constantly kind of confessing and bringing that to one another, trying to bring that to community. Uh, some of my community guys are here, so they know that, you know, regularly I'm like, dude, I'm kind of at the end of this, or hey, I kind of I feel like I'm off, and I'm, I'm focused more on these things than on eternal things. Uh, Lance, you talked earlier about just that balance. I'd love for all three of you guys to interact on, on this uh, principle of, hey, there's trusting in the Lord, and then that doesn't mean that I just get to passively go, okay, Lord, you got this, and uh, you said, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, but, uh, you know, so what is that balance? And Justin, maybe start with you. Um, you know, as you guys have had this diagnosis, uh, you know, what is that balance of activity and taking action in the midst of this, and, and how do you trust the Lord in the midst of that, and, and not just kind of throw your hands up and go, man, I, I have nothing to do here. <clears throat> yeah, so um, I think 
because this was a world of an unknown, our, our first thought was to, you know, learn as much as we could or as be as active as we could. Um, and, and I will say that, you know, that was my first mistake was, you know, this was not a com immediate dependency on the Lord. Um, I think my first inclination was to go to the Word and understand, but, you know, then there's this part of a mom and a dad that just want to fix your child, right? Um, but when you have a daughter with a, the disease that my daughter has, like, the, there is no fix. Um, sure, we can pray every night that she's healed or that, um, you know, that, you know, her soul is here, healed first, whatever that may be, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's a level of that we want to control, right? So, we did things like start a foundation or, um, you know, meet other people in a Facebook group or go to as many doctors as we can. But, you know, the more that we learned that there was no immediate fix, the more we had to rely on God. Um, and there was a point, and it was more recent than um, the diagnosis over the past couple of months where, you know, I was struggling. I was struggling at, you know, trusting the Lord. I was struggling at, um, you know, praying outwardly for my daughter. I was at my anxieties and my angers and my fears were, were coming out as a father. And, you know, I almost had to have this correction that was like, God, just, I, I need you to move mightily. And I went to battle with God. And it was a moment of, of clarity where I just had to accept that what this is, is what's God's will for my wife and I and my daughter's life. And then it became almost beautiful. Um, this life that we get to steward and this little girl who I'd rather have one day than none, right? So um, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, what, what's important for us is that this control that we think we have, we have, to, we have to relinquish that. Because if we think we have control, you know, there is going to be a condition or there's going to be a day or one of my other kids may act out, you know, and just realize we don't. So I think there's a dependency. I think for us too, I had to verbalize it. I internalized a lot, and I think if any of you are struggling with something, internalizing it is not a, a good approach. You, you need to bring in your community. You need to communicate with God, and especially your spouse. I mean, we're battling this thing together, and my wife is a rock. I mean, she's a lot stronger about this than I am. I'm the emotional one. Um, you know, and seeing her being strong makes me want to be stronger. And, uh, but I, I realized that she needed the communication just as much as I do. So those are some of the active things that we had to do. And, you know, once those things started happening, my prayer life came back. Uh, my time in the Word became more fruitful. And me as a father, I became more patient with my other kids. And I began to see that Mila's life is a lot more about beauty than about fear. Um, and that's where I, we are today, so it's good. You know, I think the temptation is to run our own offense. We think we're smart enough to uh, come up with a plan that will manage or fix or, or give our kids the best uh, chance of becoming responsible adults. And, and, I, and I think this balance between passivity and trusting God is it's a fragile one, but a couple of scriptures that really help me is uh, in uh, Isaiah 50, verse 10 and 11, it says, who is among you that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So I'm trusting God, his character, his purposes. And then there's a warning right after that in verse 11, it says, behold, you who light your own fire, who encircle yourself with torches, walk in the light of your fire and the torches that you have set ablaze and this you'll have from my hand and you will lie, lie down in torment. 
So I really want to run my own offense. I want to walk by my light. But God says, you know what? You're better off if you walk in darkness and trust me than run your own offense. And that's a tough worldview to embrace as a parent because we think it's, it's all about our involvement, what we have to bring into our life's child, into our child's life. And so it, it's, uh, it's a day-to-day reminder by your community group, by men who love you, to say, man, how are you trusting? What do you think God's teaching you through this? And it's, it's a tough balance, but that's where we need to be pointing each other to and going to ourselves. I think just quick on that, I think when it comes to trust, I think it's very difficult to trust if you're not modeling, hmm. you're not training, you're not praying for your kids. And so it feels almost like, hey, this is kind of the, the icing on the cake of, of these other, if you're doing these three things, guess what? you're probably a lot more likely to be able to trust. And then it's interesting how when we trust, guess what you're doing? You're now modeling for your kids what it looks like to trust. You're, you're training them, and, and this is how we walk through difficult seasons. And we've seen that with our kids um, as we've walked through the, like we talked about the just mental health issues. Our other kids are impacted by that. And who are they looking to? They're looking to mom and dad. Like, how are they responding? Are mom and dad responding with anxiety and fear and worry in the same ways that our, our, kid, our brother is, you know? And, and, and for us to be like, to go, wow, like we're, we are, we're modeling this through trust. Yeah. So good. Um, man, there's so much I want to talk about uh, in this deal. But uh, Justin, can you talk a little bit, what is that, uh, so another balancing act, I think, in the midst of trust is, uh, the ability to trust God and yet be honest and vulnerable. I mean, clearly we see in the scriptures, uh, I think God has been so kind to preserve the Psalms of, of lament and just the honesty of David and Solomon and others when they were in the pits of despair and crying out to God. And so what is that? How can I trust God and yet be really honest and not pretend like this is all just kind of a pretend fairy tale that I'm walking through or a nightmare? Um, and, and so what is that balance of reality versus I'm going to trust the Lord in the midst of that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think vulnerability looks different to everybody, but I think you, the first thing you have to do is be honest about a situation. Um, you know, our, our situation, you know, it, it, it has a label for it, but, um, I mean, we're all going to battle with something, but I think you know, ultimately what, what we have to do is, um, I mean, we just have to just ac- accept what it is. Uh, we have to be able to just move through and trust that, you know, what, what you are, are living out in the middle of that, um, just that, that trial is that you're going to come out on the other side as being, as being better. Um, we know that uh, in the middle of this, this season that we're going through, you know, we're going to come out a little more polished, and, and our, cuds, our kids are going to come out a little bit more polished. And what we have to do is in the middle of those moments of anxiety or in those moments of um, temptation that may come, my vulnerability to God is to acknowledge that I am sinful, that my inclination is to run and to be passive. And when I do those things and I start to be active and I start to communicate and I start to go to the Word and I start to be present with my other kids, you know, then that vulnerability will, will play its way out in how um, I come through that. So um, just take my other kids, for example. They didn't, 
they don't want this. They don't, um, they don't understand necessarily what's going on with my daughter, you know, but they, they, don't, they need a father. They need somebody who's going to love them. My, you know, the company that I work for, um, they, need a, they need a good employee. You know, whatever I am battling with, you know, that, that is something that, um, you know, hopefully I can use to be better in all those areas. And to be vulnerable is to just acknowledge that you just can't do it alone. Um, and, and alone both with your relationship with God, but your relationship with others. And if you acknowledge that vulnerability, I think it's important to, you know, pray through it, to talk to others. Uh, I'm, I remember a long time ago, um, I think it was JP, said, um, talked about GPS, which is go to Scripture, pray, and to seek counsel. And I've kind of just followed those. And in the midst of this trial, those have, those have stuck with me. So um, that's a good way to get through vulnerabilities. Yeah. I think one of the greatest acts of worship that we have as believers is to totally embrace the pain and the chaos and the turmoil of our, with, of our kids, whether it's physical issues or behavioral issues. And don't try to stuff it. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to soft sell it, but own it. But at the same time, you're able to worship. You're able to recognize that God has his purposes. God has his curriculum, his syllabus for your kid's life. It may or may not include you in the long term as they get older. Uh, but God has a purpose on this. I, I love, uh, in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah writes, uh, I want to remember my, my sufferings, my uh, cursings, my poisons. And he says, um, these things, I remember these things, and it makes my heart heavy. He says, but this I, this I recall, this is what I bring to my mind, that uh, the love of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. The Lord is my inheritance, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. So that tension of, man, uh, my heart is heavy because of life, but at the same time, I can worship. I, I really believe uh, that's where we truly glorify God. I really do. Lance, let me ask you, uh, and then I have one more question for Jim to close us up, but uh, you mentioned just confession, uh, you know, talking to your community guys and all that. I, I do think this is it's such an important part of our wrestling with trusting the Lord is can we be honest with others? Talk, talk about the fruit that that has borne in your life as you've shared these things with others, laid these burdens before them, confessed your weakness in that area and what the Lord has done through that. Yeah, so I've just found that, that what I come up with in my head is ob, ob, way more worst-case scenario than, than what actually is and really is. And I think the more I speak those worries and fears, even though in saying it, I'm, one, I'm humbling myself to go, hey, this is how dark that thought got. <laughs> hey, this is, this is kind of what I thought. Because my kids aren't obeying here, I'm... I'm thinking that Allie's going to end up on a pole someday, you know, and, you know, I'm just like, whoa, I hope not. You know, like you could, but that's from This Is Us, if you guys watch it, but they, they play a game where they just take it to the worst case. And so for me to speak that aloud and for the men around me to kind of go, hey, because what I hear you saying is this, I'm almost speaker listener. And then when they repeat it back to me, I go, that sounds crazy. <laughs> but for whatever reason, when it's in my head, it doesn't sound as crazy. It sounds very realistic. Like, yeah, that could play out in that way. And so just being able to share it, to speak it, um, honestly, just to get it into the light, just like any area of sin, right? And, and allow us to kind of confess and forsake it and to repent and, and move beyond it. But 
but just realizing for me, like, that, that's kind of my ditch, and that, that's kind of where I'm going to end up, that the guys in my life know that, um, which is helpful when they just are asking the question, like, hey, how you doing with that, right? Not just expecting always that, I mean, I, I want to be the one that brings that to them, but when they ask that, it's like, okay, you get it, you understand, and um, it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And just as a reminder, something we've talked about a lot lately is just that, that verse, James five sixteen to confess your sins to one another and do what? To pray for one another. And so I, I want to encourage you on the, the opposite side of, hey, if I'm receiving that as a friend or brother of Lance or member of his community group, uh, not just to go, man, thanks for letting me know. And let me, let me try to fix you. But just the power of stopping in that moment and going, hey, let me pray for you. Uh, and, and not, uh, if I can uh, discourage you away from something. It would be not the text says, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, it is maybe picking up the phone when you get that text and going, hey, let's pray together right now or stopping in that moment to do that. But just to pray for your brother with them uh, and, uh, and to do that in a way that will bring about the healing that I think comes from that confession. And then, Jim, just kind of the, the final question on this for you. Uh, speaking about prayer, we talked about praying for our kids uh, you said something to me the other day that I thought was really uh, powerful of just praying better prayers uh, in the midst of these trials. That this this uh, circumstance, Lance talked about, just, you know, hey, um, are you leveraging these challenges? What, what's the fruit? And you talked about, hey, the, the challenges of your kids, the fruit that began to come out was that the prayers I used to pray for my kids, I realized were not the prayers I should have been praying for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So talk about what does is, what is a trusting, praying heart look like for us as dads yeah. uh, that maybe is different than how we are prone to pray? Yeah, I think we, we do need to pray better prayers. And I love the illustration Lance used about the trophies, you know, that um, you know, his trophies are now in the trash heap, but our children have yet to learn, have those lessons of, these things that I do on earth are, are temporary, they're shallow, they're really not important. And so as I pray as a parent, I wanna make sure that I'm praying for the right things. I don't wanna pray for God, give my kids success on the ball field or in the, in the classroom or in business, whatever, because that may not be God's strategy. I mean, how many of you came back to Christ because your life was going well? <laughs> everything was in sync, everything was smooth, and you said, man, life is really good, I think I'm gonna pursue God now. But most of us, most of us came back to Christ when our life was falling apart. It was an act of desperation, right? So why do we spend our times praying for or rescuing our kids from their own personal points of desperation? You know, that's what we do. So if we pray better prayers, we're praying not for behavior and circumstances to change, but we're praying for their heart to endure, their heart to be drawn closer to God, in the midst of all that, I mean, even if it's dealing with a bully in kindergarten, it's the same prayer. It's not that you rescue them from bully, but it's that they can understand this is life. And God will walk with you through this. Let me tell you about some bullies in my life. But, but you're, you're, you're praying better prayers that God would use these circumstances in your kids' lives, even their disobedience, even in their brokenness, as a, in their tears, not saying, hey, things are going to get better. But you go in there and say, hey, you know what? God's going to use this. He's going to make you into who he wants you to be. Uh, I can't promise you that, you know, you're going to be healthy. God's greatest blessing is not physical health. God's greatest blessing is an abiding walk with him. And that's what we need to pray for our kids so they can endure 
the trophies, uh, the pride, and also the devastation of failure. So as we wrap up, and I want to give you time at your tables just to kind of process through this and, and talk about it, uh, Lance has done a great job of just giving you some handholds. I, I want to point you to a resource, and I'll send this uh, email uh, in the email to you later, but there's a guy named Tim Elmore. If you're not familiar with Tim, uh, he has done a ton of research and, and uh, really just thinking through all things of how we lead our kids. He leads an organization called Growing Leaders. And, uh, and so Tim has done a great job of just kind of identifying, hey, what are some of the the, the main traps for us in kind of 21st century parenting that we're facing. And so, uh, Joe, I think I have a slide up there if you want to throw these up. But Lance uh, said this in a different way, but this is just to give you a different set of handholds. But there's kind of three huge mistakes uh, that parents make in this area of trust. One is that we risk too little. And it's all about, it's all out of our fear of safety. And so, uh, you know, he, he kind of talks about what it used to look like uh, you know, for kids to kind of kick, or for parents to kick their kids out of the door at 8 a.m. to go play, you know, and ride their bikes and everything and hope that they come back sometime before dark. You know, that, that was kind of how it used to be. And now it's, man, uh, he, he talks about, uh, you know, a guy who uh, created a drone to follow his kid with a camera to follow his kid to the bus stop, you know, uh, in the morning and just the <laughs> insanity of that. So uh, that's just a, an evaluative thing that you can do to go, hey, am I, am I risking too little? Is there a fear of safety that's driving this? Second, we've talked about is just that idea of we rescue too quickly, that when our kids do have those moments when Lance used that great illustration of, hey, I don't want to be on the A team. I'd like to be on the B team. And, and instead of uh, you know, going to that coach, which you had a personal relationship with, to go, hey, I could, I could advocate for my child, teaching my child to advocate for themselves and putting those tools in their hand. And so it's just that idea, but we have this fear of their status that drives us to go, hey, I can manip manipulate this. I can maneuver them for success in this area, so I'll just do it for them. And man, we as dads, that, that is a sign that, man, I'm just not trusting in the Lord in the midst of this. And the last one he talks about is rave too easily. Uh, that we, uh, we are the, the generation of participation trophies and, hey, you get a, uh, you know, all the same uh, deals. And we have this fear of their self-esteem. And if you go and you kind of look back at some of the research on self-esteem, you realize that's a relatively new idea. Uh, and somehow we've existed for uh, millennia without even the idea of self-esteem. Uh, and yet we, we've kind of put that as a God of, man, are my kids, do they feel good enough about themselves? And so we, we end up raving too easily uh, about them. So again, I'll send that to you uh, in an email, but uh, we, we've touched on each one of those three. And, and those are just simple things that you can come back to and go, okay, hey, am I doing these things? These are conversations you can have with your spouse just to go, hey, is there any area where man, we're just not risking enough? We're not, uh, we are rescuing them too quickly. Uh, and, and just to ask yourself those questions. Lance, you were about to say something. No, I just, the whole rescue too quickly, that starts in just little areas. And so I went to take something to my son up at school this week, and I show up in there at lunch, and I walk over to him, and, and he's like, I forgot my lunch. And, uh, and he's just gotten to the place where he doesn't even call anymore, like, hey, come bring me my lunch. Because it's kind of like, hey, bro, you're responsible for your lunch. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we're like, oh, well, he could starve and die in one day. And it's like, <laughs> no, he won't. And, and it, it's just a confession in the moment of weakness. I was like, well, come with me. And I took him to Cain's. And I said, hey, this isn't going to happen every time, right? But, yeah. but, uh, but it is. Like, we're, we're so quick to, like, not want him to forget something. Or like, oh, they needed this. And yeah. here it is. And, yeah. And some of that anxiety is on, it comes on us because we start wondering, well, what's the principal going to think when my kid doesn't have lunch? Or what's, what's the teacher going to think? And did they, uh, my wife sent 
one of my children to school with crazy hair yesterday because it's something we've asked her to do repeatedly, and she continues to not do it. And we're like, all right, well, you're going to go looking like a hot mess today um, because you, you haven't followed this instruction. And so there's that natural consequences. But these are uh, great opportunities for us as men to grow in our trust with the Lord. I want to give you time at your tables just to talk about what does this look like in your life? What are some of those temptations that you find yourself struggling uh, against? And uh, so I'll give you about 30 minutes. And we'll wrap up here uh, at about 8 o'clock. So thank these guys for me, would you? Um, bless you guys. So, all right.